Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. So we come now to the height of the Apostle Paul's exhortations to Timothy concerning uh, false teachers in the church. He's been consistently pounding that theme throughout both of his letters, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and now the apostle gives a solemn charge to Timothy. A solemn charge. This is no joke. This is the apostle Paul placing a heavy burden on Timothy very intentionally. The apostle is is pushing weight upon him just as we still do today when we ordain a man to office. You remember that night when Michael was ordained, that immediately after the ordination prayer with the laying on of hands, that he received a charge. Right? He received a charge from Pastor Bailey, and, and you and the congregation, all of you, received a charge um, based upon the word of God from me. And so those charges are meant to direct, uh, to direct the entire ministry of the one receiving it or for the many receiving it. It should be based on the word of God, which has the power to bind the conscience. And so here in the final charge that the apostle brings to Timothy, we have uh, a solemnity that is, is incredibly deep. Paul writes, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. And of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Now, whatever follows such words uh, have been made uh, very solemn by the witnesses that Paul draws into this charge. The witnesses aren't just two other men. The witnesses are God the Father and God the Son. God and Jesus Christ. And, And Jesus Christ is the judge of the living and the dead who is to come, right? The son of God's return, his kingdom, and his judgeship are all invoked in this solemn charge. It's undoubtedly true that that all that we do is observed by God, right? Everything we do is observed by God. Let me, you know, it's, it's important that we come to understand that. Um, That's essentially what the Apostle Paul is reminding Timothy of here when it comes to his work as a pastor. I solemnly charge you in the sight of God. You know, God is seeing this and God is watching you. 
does that not affect how you live and act? Should it? The fact that God sees you, that God knows you very intimately, but sees all that you do. The very fact that God observes everything, not that just you do, but that you think. Psalm 11 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. His eyes behold. Psalm 94, they have said, The Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob pay heed. And then the the psalmist goes on, Pay heed, you senseless among the people. And when will you understand, stupid ones? Not to put too fine a point on it. He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? Right? Powerful statement there. The one who made the eye sees. Right? God sees, and that very fact should shake us. When when Adam and Eve sinned, the very first thing they did was to try to hide from the gaze of God, but God still saw. Right? He saw all that they did, and he still sees now. It's good and necessary to remember this, and it was good for the apostle to remind Pastor Timothy of this as he's, as he's going about his ministry there in the church in Ephesus. You cannot hide from God. You cannot hide from the God who looks to and fro throughout the earth seeking those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. He knows your thoughts. He sees your actions. Again, the solemnity of this charge is based upon the grandeur of the witness to that charge. God and Jesus Christ, the King and Judge of all men. There's no higher witness. There's no greater authority. There's no um, more permanent and pervasive judge than that. The Apostle Paul is throwing every bit of weight he can into this final exhortation to Timothy. This is final words to Timothy here. We're coming to the end. And so for Timothy, then, to go on and disregard um, this, this charge is for Timothy to to forsake not just his calling, but it's to forsake his very fear of the Lord, right? God calls this witness upon him and tells him he's here to judge this charge. And for him to say no would be just to have no fear of God. But there should also be encouragement in terms of this charge, too. He serves this king. Timothy serves this king and this judge. And it's by God's work that he will receive the crown of righteousness in the future, right? We're we're not motivated to serve God simply by his power, but also by his glory and his love. Timothy should delight to serve the king of kings, right? He should live and breathe to serve the King of Kings, the, the, the glory, the glorious Lord. Timothy should delight in that, right? And that should be joyful and thrilling to him for God to, or for Paul to be calling upon God as a witness to the charge for his work should fill him with, with uh, yes, fear, but also just, wow, that's the God I serve. Timothy is reminded of his salvation in the midst of this picture of Jesus returning to judge the living and the dead. And that is the very reason he works in the ministry, right? To be used of God to bring those who are dead in their sins 
to life in Jesus Christ. So there's the intro to the charge. What, what's the meat of the charge? Here are the eight verbs that are used in this section. Preach, be ready, reprove, rebuke, exhort, be sober, endure, do, and fulfill. Uh, the last is a summary of what proceeds. These actions are going to be the means by which Timothy fulfills the ministry. Um, very simply put, he must act. He must act. Timothy has to act. Makes me think of the solemn charge that David gave to his son Solomon. Um, David said to Solomon, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be courageous and act. And so the pastor, the evangelist, the elder is to be a man of action. right? A man of action, not merely a man of stature or a man of intellectual wisdom, he is to be a doer, right? We can fill our brains with all kinds of, of laudy, lofty information, and we can write the best books, but we can still not be a man of action, right? Um, you think of, of pastors who, and this fears me, it fills me with fear even as I say it, you think of pastors who preach so eloquently and yet have lost their own children, right, and haven't shepherded their own homes. That was a man who was a thinker, not a doer, right? So the temptation of men is to live virtually, right, which is acting without action. It's amazing how simple that exhortation of David's is to Solomon. Be courageous and act, do, right? But how it fills us men, with incredible anxiety, right? It, it is for that reason that we need godly men exhorting us simply to act, to do, to accomplish, to do the next thing, to move, move forward, to go, to get her done, right? Like the Apostle Paul is here to Timothy, we have to be reminded to, to uh, yes, we have to be reminded to stop praying, we have to be reminded to stop pondering. We have to be reminded to stop hesitating and to stop mulling and chewing. And we have to be told to stop consulting and act. Right? Do. Brothers and sisters, act by faith and following prayer. Yes, act. But we have to act. We have to do. Now, circling back. Let's look at each of these exhortations from the apostle to Pastor Timothy. First, Timothy is charged to preach the word. Preach the word. And so we all know what that is, and we can just move right on, right? It's a simple thing. Uh, Timothy is to be, there is much to be said about that. Timothy is told by the apostle, Timothy is a pastor at the church in Ephesus, and he's told to preach the word. Right? Timothy is to be a herald of the, of the word. He is to be a public proclaimer of the truths of Scripture. His first task is not to be a private counselor, though he would inevitably do that. Right? 
His first task is not to be an administrator of the church, though obviously he's going to be involved in those things. His first um, task is not to officiate at weddings and funerals, um, though he would inevitably do that. His first task is not to practice hospitality, though he's obviously going to have to be involved in that, right? His, his first task is not even to be a mediator between people in the church who are at each other, um, though he's going to have to certainly do that. His first task is not to produce podcasts and write blog posts, though he's likely going to have to do those things um, and communicate in similar ways. It's like writing letters for the Apostle Paul. His first task is to preach the word. Preach the word. His first task is to be a herald of God to the congregation. His first task is not to live to meet the felt needs of the congregation, but to serve God in the midst of the congregation by proclaiming his word. Uh, so let's remember, let's remember um, this. The, the, uh, the second Helvetic confession, which was written by um, a Swiss reformed guy named Heinrich Bullinger, uh, he died, or it was published the year that John Calvin died. Uh, 1564, and there's a section in that confession which was meant to bring together the Reformed churches in Switzerland about the preaching of the word, and it says this, the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. The preaching of the word of God is the word of God. And now all of you start becoming those, those noble Bereans who are like, wait, what? I thought I was supposed to be the arbiter of what was the preached word and what was not. And that's not what you're supposed to do. You don't become the arbiter of what's preached and what's not preached, right? But you test all things that were preached, and you find that they are the word of God preached. And so they go on. They say this, The preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Wherefore, when this word of God is now preached in the church by preachers lawfully called, we believe that the very word of God is proclaimed and received by the faithful, and that neither any other word of God is to be invented nor is to be expected from heaven, and that now the word itself, which is preached, is to be regarded, not the minister that preaches. For even if he be evil and a sinner, nevertheless the word of God remains still true and good. And I, I testify this morning that I am, I am evil and a sinner. Every, every pastor who has ever preached is evil and a sinner. And yet here, this is the means that God has given to us for the word to be delivered, the word to be preached. The, the Holy Spirit, through the apostles, said to Pastor Timothy, preach the word. This is the means by which the word of God comes to, to us. As strange as it may seem, God has chosen to communicate his word to us through the means of sinful men, pastors. This, as you recall, when I exhorted uh, the congregation at Michael's ordination, is actually for your good because it humbles us to have to eat out of the hands of somebody who's weaker than us. It humbles us that we have to eat out of the hands of a sinner. Yet the word of God preached is the word of God. 
This is how God communicates to his bride. This is the means, this is the method. Astonishingly, this is the method that God has chosen to feed his flock in this era. Now, why do I belabor this point? Because preaching is something given to you by God. Preaching is given to you by God. It's not something that you have the special right as a recipient to criticize before you've gone through the process of what God has spoken to you. Right? Criticize, criticize all you want after that. After you've done the reflection of what has God said to me in the preaching of the word this week. Criticize, criticize me all you want after that. But certainly that probably means more time to reflect than the time you've had heard the final word to shaking my hand in the foyer. The Apostle Paul reminded Timothy that his primary task was to preach the word. It was a task given to Timothy by God in his ordination. Do you respect that fact? And do you understand what that means for your reception of the word of God preached? I mean, no preacher wants to get up here and talk about what preaching is. No preacher wants to talk about what the task of the preacher is. It's like I have to unclothe myself before the congregation, right? I have to talk about myself and my tasks that God has given me to make the congregation understand it. And it's awkward. I feel like I'm talking about myself. And if you know me, I don't like to talk about myself, right? But here, here I have to because it's so important in the way that, the way that we receive God's word. And so um, do you respect the fact that those ordained have been set aside by God and God will speak through them in the preached word. Second Timothy was charged to be ready to preach the word in season and out of season. Literally, this could be translated, be ready when it is opportune time and when it is an inopportune time. Um, the pastor does not get a pass when the situation he is in makes a particular text really tricky, really difficult, really gnarly, really unkind to preach. Um, whether the time is perceived to be good or bad, he is to preach. Timothy is to preach. Um, let's say you have a man has inherited the pulpit of a progressive PCA church. And the next text that he, he comes to in his, his uh, working through a book it condemns homosexuality. Well, that is a time... Uh, where preaching doesn't exactly seem timely if we come at it with unspiritual eyes. But remember that the apostle has just said that scripture, just before this passage, right back in chapter 3, the apostle has said that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. All scripture. Right? No, the preacher must preach that text and thunder from heaven with God's righteousness. Right. The uh, sadly today, many pastors think that there are many texts that will always be out of season. Right. Just always. That's 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 an out of season text, and and we don't do out of season in in our church. And instead of choosing to preach those texts, they will opt for more in season texts. You will get uh, you will get half of the red letters of the Bible. In those sermons, it's astonishing to me how many times texts that I have preached 
that I thought were untimely have been perfectly timely. Right? And, and the Holy Spirit has used certain texts to minister to this flock in wonderful ways at times, revealing someone's sin, at other times easing a person's conscience, and at other times ministering to the w- wounded, all unintended by me, but unintended by God, which is why we say that, this is the, that the preached word is the word of God. It is God's method and means of ministering to our church. Then, Timothy is charged to reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Notice those verbs. It does not say uplift, inspire, inflame with passions. Right? It doesn't say um, motivate and be a motivational speaker and, 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 you know, just, just... really stir up the passions. No, those verbs are much more earthy than, than those. Much more fitted for sheep, right? Uh, going to the Greek doesn't help in this passage either. It only makes it worse. Synonyms would be convict, expose, sternly tell, warn, beg. That's what the pastor is to do from the pulpit. Pastor is not to be pugnacious. He's not to be obnoxious about all this. The Apostle Paul does does say to do these things with both patience and instruction. But let's get this straight. The purpose of preaching is to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Today our pride runs so deep that pastors can't come close to that without being labeled aggressive, obnoxious, legalistic, mean, or worst of all, discouraging. The reason so many think that preaching that involves exhorting a congregation to honor God by living holy lives is discouraging is because they've, been, they've gotten used to no one telling them no. We've gotten used to no one correcting us in any way. Their only fuel is positive reinforcement. I mean, I can't even let our children play in competitive sports anymore. Some leagues don't keep score, right? And, and, and the parents insist on it because they're willing for their kids, they're, they're unwilling for their kids to feel any discouragement, right? To be exhorted even by a difference in score. But the purpose of reproof, rebuke, and exhortation is not discouragement anyway. The purpose of those things is holiness. It's holiness, right? And God has a right to ask it of you. He gave you his only son to die for you and adopted you into his household. Should you not then live by the house rules? Do you not have a desire to please your father in heaven who has given you so much in your salvation? Well, guess what? Do you know what pleases him? Holiness. Holiness pleases him. Holiness, when you're living by faith, pleases him. He delights in righteousness. This is put so plainly in Peter's uh, second letter. Think of this passage. For by these, by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Taking on the divine nature. 
That's holiness. Now, Timothy is charged to do those three works of correction with patience and instruction. In other words, he's not to fly off the handle. He is not to begin excommunication processes after the first sign of any sin, right? He, he is to, to expect, he, actually, he, he's not to expect perfect holiness from sinners, right? He, he is to be patient coming back again and again to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Coming back again and again and again, not to overlook sins. I'm so tired of dealing with this man's sin. You know, I wish there was a statute of limitations on this so that I could just, you know, it's been two years. I think we can move on now and just move on to something else or someone else. No, the, the, the patience required here is one of going back again and again and again with gentleness and instructing and teaching getting them to understand where they're breaking God's laws. And he's, you know, he's to be patient, and he's not simply to make demands without explaining why. The, the apostle says, and with instruction, right? You don't just make demands, you don't just correct without saying, okay, here's where God's word teaches this, here's where... Here's where the failure is. You have to instruct. I find that many fathers forget that step in their own families, right? They, they know the right thing to do. They exhort their families to do it, but they don't teach them why they should do it, right? They, this, this is where perhaps the inspiring part of exhortation comes into play. We must not just hold up the standard, but we must instruct so that people love the standard, right? And that's, that's the hardest work of parenting. It's easy to shout at your kids. It's easy to tell them, here's the standard. But it's very difficult to get a 15-year-old girl to, to love that standard. Or a 13-year-old boy, or an 11-year-old boy, or a 9-year-old girl. And then there's one sleeping, so I should really be talking about her. But this is, this is why we can't just reprove and rebuke and exhort all the time. But it has to be patient, which means recurring, and with instruction. It, it is hard to understand obedience that the Bible requires. It's just simply hard to understand that. And it's very hard to understand when you're 12. I don't have any 12-year-olds, so I'm safe there. And so so remember that, fathers. I... I we, we need to do that work of, of holding the standard but then explaining why God is pleased by giving us the standard and why we should be pleased in obeying it. Then in verses 3 and 4, we learn why Timothy must preach in the particular manner laid out. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Apostle Paul is telling Timothy what to expect in the days to come. Days will come and they will come in every era of the church everywhere when the people of the church will come to despise the teaching of God's word. They become embarrassed that God would have standards for sexuality. They become embarrassed that God would say that no one comes to the Father except through the Son. 
right? They, they, would, they would say they um, become exasperated with a Bible that would call the love of money the root of all sorts of evil, right? They're embarrassed that Scripture would assert man's wickedness and deny man's goodness. It's, it's all so diminishing. It's all so humiliating for, for us men, right? Instead, the sheep then begin to want something other than God's speech. They, like the Israelites at the foot of, of Mount Sinai, do not like to hear God directly. Sound doctrine becomes unendurable. It becomes insufferable. In other words, God himself becomes insufferable. And when God is hated, when God is hated, other gods, controllable gods are man's make, of man's making are preferred. Controllable gods are much preferred to God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Those gods tickle ears rather than thundering the eternal truth into eardrums. They say things that scratch an itch, right, that, that help people with their little fascinations and interests. Um, you know, interesting tidbits that, that um, scratch your fancy. Instead of God's truth, these sheep would rather have their ears tickled, and there's always some fool, some fool who, for a little bit of money, will give the sheep exactly what they want. Right? Clement of Alexandria, back in the 2nd century, writes this about some ear ticklers, the sophists. Inflated with this art of theirs, the wretched sophists, babbling away in their own jargon, toiling their whole life about the division of names and the nature of the composition and conjunction of sentences, show themselves greater chatterers than turtle doves, scratching and tickling, not in a manly way, in my opinion, the ears of those who wish to be tickled. So, I mean, every era of the church has had the same thing. And, and along come these sophists, sophists, I don't know how you say it, um, who, who, you know, had fascinating things to say that tickled people's fancy. And, and Clement's like, it's unmanly tickling of the ears. I could write today about Perry Noble, who transformed the Ten Commandments into the Ten Promises, or Stephen Furtick, who claimed that, uh, who channels Charles Finney, all the time. These are teachers who are pleased to teach in accordance to people's desires, right? They do not preach the holiness of God, but rather they preach the wretchedness of God and the holiness of people just the way they are. They are liberals who have, there are, there are also liberals who have found a hermeneutic that allow them to cover for twisting scripture. And, and, and they find that, oh, Scripture allows wantonness and lustfulness and greediness and self-esteem and, and universalism. They teach things that somehow um, have been deemed more fair and more compassionate. But in reality, these teachers hate the truth and teach others to hate the truth. Right? They come in, in fundamentalist shapes and Presbyterian shapes and Baptist shapes and Episcopal shapes. Right? And every congregation attempts to get a man like this when the old pastor retires. And if God is merciful, he does not come to tickle your ears, but to preach God's word in season and out of season. Myths, myths are so much more fun than the truth, aren't they? And, and that's a lie. That's a lie. Myths cannot save. 
Myths have no power. Myths bring a man nothing about the knowledge that's required for eternal life. Truth changes you. Truth changes and saves a man. Now, finally, the apostle charges Timothy with principles contrary to those teachers. He, on the other hand, is to be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and ultimately fulfill his ministry. So I think these last charges relate to the fact that Timothy will have to deal with churches that desire to have their ears tickled, right? They will oppose their pastor. In in the face of those desires, he's to be steadfast. He's to be steadfast. Now, there's, he is to be sober, he is to suffer, he's to evangelize. Timothy is not to fly off the handle. Timothy is not to take, he, he, is, he is not to be, um, he is to govern himself, right? Timothy is to take hits. He's to, he's to take hits and not give hits back. Timothy is to treat them like the unbelievers they are and present to them the gospel, um, not, the, the worst thing for him to do in that context would be to withhold the gospel. To a certain extent, every pastor will face this kind of opposition. There are tares among the wheat, right? And the tares will be the one who just want to have their ears tickled. And they will have no fear of God and very little desire to be holy, and they will simply want affirmation, right? Calvin puts it this way, the more grievous the diseases are, the more earnestly Timothy may labor to cure them. And that the nearer dangers are at hand, the more diligently he may keep watch. And because the ministers of Christ, when they they faithfully discharge their office, are immediately called to engage in combats, he at the same time reminds Timothy to be firm and immovable in enduring adversity. In other words, the worse the congregation, the more steadfast and immovable the pastor should be in his task. Now let me leave you leave you with this. What, what is your posture concerning the word preached? What was your posture this morning when you got out of bed and you thought about the work of having to get ready and you thought about how tired you were and you thought about the task of the drive that you had and what, what was your... Did you have any thoughts about the fact that God, God, was, God had scheduled to speak to you today through the preaching of his word? Was that anything that you prayed about, that you thought about this morning? Do, do you expect that God is speaking to you in the preaching of the word? Do you therefore pray that he would? Do you make a list, um, or on the other hand, do you make a list of complaints each Sunday, wishing the pastor would tickle your ears and meet your felt needs a little more often? Would you rather have a dose of myth than a vision of God Almighty? Do you, do you honestly think you are here uh, not to be bettered, but to be affirmed no matter what? Are you teachable, or will you always be the teacher even when it was even when it's in a context where God is speaking through his word, through his word preached. Contemplate those things. I think we always have to reorient ourselves when it comes to this. We have to think through the precious gift that the preached word is to the church, to the bride of Christ today. 
And we have to come anticipating that God is speaking to us. And, and pray for it. Pray for it. It's, it is a difficult task to be the one whose mouth is moving up here when God is speaking in his preached word and preparing for this. And so pray. Pray that, that I would be faithful, that I would not interrupt, that my sin would not afflict the preaching of the word here and that you would receive the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the word preached. Lord, it is hard for us in a day of, of 15 second sound bites and short films and, and video games to, to really pay attention to this old style of delivery of, of spoken word. But I pray that we would practice at getting better at it. I pray that you would give us a yearning and a desire that causes us to sit on the edge of our seats as your word is preached. And I pray that that would not come because I learned finally how to be a better orator, but that it would come simply by a desire for your word and the contents of your inspired word. Help us, Father. Help us to be devoted to your word and to leave other distractions. Give us a longing for the pure spiritual milk of the word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.